Sonic State. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Sonic Talk number one hundred and seventy-seven, recording live today on the on the ninth of June two thousand and ten. Uh, available via all good MP three uh, distribution methods, or well, iTunes basically. Uh, tomorrow, which is uh, Thursday, the tenth of June. So uh, yeah, I've been away. We've had a couple of weeks off, uh, which was nice. Um, I could. It's a shame. It was just the way the holiday fell. It was like left on a Tuesday, returned on a Thursday. Otherwise, I wouldn't have only, would have only missed one. But there you go. Yeah, just in France, um, enjoying the good life for a couple of for for a few days. It was very pleasant. Mm. Cool. Ah, so let me introduce my guests. Uh, well, actually, we'll say hello to those in the chat room this week, um, because uh, we got the chat room seems to be working all right this week. Apart from, I can't get the uh, my client my IRC client, which allows me to save the transcript. So there will be no transcript this week, unfortunately. But hello, everybody in the chat room. Thanks for joining us. I know you, um, some of you have been missing it, and um, we're back. So I hope we can fulfil your expectations. I'm sure my guests can. It's just myself that I'm worried about. Uh, my guests are, we'll say hello first to, let's start the other side of the pond, at uh, Mr. Rich Hilton from Connecticut. Sheik member, well, is she... I'd say I'd say that's a, that's a fair assumption these days. You've just come back from um, a, a little tour in Europe, haven't you? Italy and Ireland, was that right? Uh, we were around Italy for a bit, and then we were in Ireland for a bit. I saw some pictures of your hotel outside uh, outside your hotel in Capri, which looked very nice. That was Naples, yes. Naples, very nice, very nice. I only confused because I went to, the night we left for um, to get on the Eurostar to go to France. We stay. We, we went to an Italian restaurant. At the back of the Italian restaurant, which is where we got sat, there was an enormous kind of mural of a view that was not dissimilar to yours. And I asked the waiter where it was because thinking there might be a point of conversation, but it wasn't. It was Capri, not Naples. Ah, <laughs> so there you we go. Cons- we considered boating to Capri, but instead we went and visited the ruins of Pompeii. Ooh, did you? Yeah, it was great. Really I've never nice. been there. I read the book Pompeii, but I've never um, and I've seen the film up Pompeii. But I've never yeah. been to Pompeii. Well, I, I now I have. Took <laughs> plenty of pictures and posted them. And uh, really, really gorgeous, amazing thing, that place. Excellent. How were the gigs? Gigs went well. Everybody seemed uh, quite happy out in the audience, and I had a good time. And uh, the boss seemed pleased, all of which is what we need, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I know my boss is usually pleased, but sometimes it's a bit hard on me. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you very much for joining us, Rich Hilton. MySpace.com forward slash Hiltonius, as well as Facebook and many other ways to get in touch. Uh, and that other voice you heard there, the chuckle, was uh, Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Dave, Hello. you've had a new controller made. I saw one with the, the Imp2 controller with a keyboard. That looked awesome. That's quite funny, actually. I only saw it yesterday. Somebody put a link. I think Howard put a link to it, and Chris has been keeping it quite quiet. So yesterday was the first I saw of it. It does look nice, though. It does it looks? It's got a real kind of uh, gargantuan vibe to it. I think it's actually smaller than the non-keyboard controller. Oh, is it? Down. Yeah, yeah. We kind see. of smaller knobs and things, but yeah, with a keyboard. So yeah, should it be must fun. be very exciting and yet quite tantalising, knowing that you have now two controllers. And um, and the release is still is still just uh, just just round the corner. <laughs> yeah, I think somebody made a comment yesterday that uh, yeah, it's all right. Those controllers. I had a few emails actually saying uh, yeah, those controllers look great. Uh, when's the software out? <laughs> I feel for you, Dave. I really do. But you know, mm. 
it's ready when it's ready, isn't it, basically, I'd imagine? Yeah. You want to make it right, don't you? Not wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go and all on, those on. things. Yeah. Well, at the, and at the same time, I've heard said by other developers in the past that it's never really done. <laughs> yeah. That you just choose a moment if it's non-doneness to release it. Mm. It's been, it was even told to me pretty much in so many words. I mean, not quite exactly that way, but that, that was the gist of it, is that all software is released with known problems, is what I was told. Now, Dave, can you speak to that? Yeah, you see, I don't like that. I don't like. I don't like it either. <laughs> putting something out that, that that I know there's something there that's going to bite us on the arse in a week or so. Uh, generally, what we like to do is release something and then take a step back from it for a little while. But obviously, you can't do that if it's riddled with problems. Yeah, right. You want to get it out the door and, and go it's on coming holiday. up for summer, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So it's coming up for summer, and it's like, okay, it would be really nice to release something, and then, I mean, poor John, the coder, wants to go away for a bit. It's like, okay, well, let's get this as good as we can. Yeah, well, I think I've been saying that for about 18 months. Well, look, we're not going to dwell on it too long. Anyway, G4 Software, you can go and keep up with that sort of thing and, and scan the usual RSS feeds and Twitter sphere and all that stuff, and you'll, you'll know soon enough. You'll know soon enough. Anyway, um, you might wonder whether my, my voice is sounding any different. I got a visit yesterday from um, Dave West from the Audio Pros, also Syntax, they do RME stuff, and he dropped me a mic off to try, which was something I've been trying to get um, various other people to do because I uh, always like to try a few other things. Obviously, you will know that generally I'm using a, uh, a Rode... Uh, oh, what is it? It's a podcaster, Procaster, a Rode Procaster, which is dynamic. Today, I am mostly using uh, something by Lautron Audio. Is it Lautron? Yes, Lautron Audio, and it's, uh, it's a condenser mic. It's a big, fat condenser mic, the FC... Three five seven, and uh, yeah, it's quite nice actually. It's it's uh, it's very very natural, but it's also it's a multi pattern, so it'll do uh, cardioid, which is what I'm on now. It'll do uh, omni and also figure of eight, which sounds quite nice. The figure of eight because it's got a little bit of proximity, um, yet still does both sides. So that might be good for the, you know those uh, those backing vocal moments. So I'm going to try it out for a little while and um, just you know. Uh, I might be able to get an interview with Brian Loudenslager, Loudenslager, who's the guy who designed it. He's a guy who's d- worked for loads and loads of mic manufacturers in the past, helping them get, you know, there's all these mics that are made partially in China but designed in Europe and what have you. And he's he's a sort of an expert in kind of getting the most out of out of components or what have you. So I'll hopefully have a bit of a chat with him about it. But um, it's not an ad or anything. I just thought, hey, if someone else wants to send me a mic to try, I'm not expecting to keep them or anything. It's just a sort of generally interesting sort of feature. So that's what I'm using this time. S, it's an FC357, and it's about, I think you can get it for about 500 quid. So it's not a cheap mic by any stretch. But uh, what do you think? Does it sound nice? I know it's hard to tell over Skype, but... Sounds your, good here. Do your best. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rich, I know you're very conscious of my dynamic sound, because you know, <laughs> and now I have a condenser sound. Well, you sound very nice today. Oh, thank you. It can't, actually, it's lovely. It's one of those ones that's got a fantastic package. You know, it's got a sort of <laughs> foam-lined case, and inside the foam-lined case is a little box made of bamboo, which has uh, the mic in it as well. And, it came, and it's got a cradle and uh, what have you. But it's, uh, apparently it's supposed to sound as close to a valve mic as a valve mic can without being a valve mic. That's what they say. I don't know whether that's just... The usual sort of nonsense. But anyway, if you want to find out more, Audio Professionals, theaudiopros.com is a good place to start. But um, just thought I'd mention it. If anyone wants to send another mic, I'm more than happy to try those. Quite uh, quite enjoy this process. It's good fun. 
Um, okay, well, let me see. What have we got? Off? Oh, I've got something to play for our first uh, clip. So I'll just uh, pop that in right now and we can have a listen. Hit me with your living stick. Hit me. Hit me. It's good, say fantastic. Hit, hit, hit me. Hit me with your living stick. It's nice to be alone, I say. Hit me. Hit me. Do you always wear those glasses? For your protection, my dear. <laughs> That was a cut of the trailer of Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, which is not it's a sort of reasonably new rock and roll film. Uh, it's a film about the life and times of Ian Jury, of Ian Jury and the Blockheads, uh, who, in, incidentally, the, in the recent Bath Festival, in fact, on Sunday night, the Blockheads played at uh, a venue in Bath, which I didn't, unfortunately, get a chance to make to make it there. But uh, no doubt a great story, because uh, he's a very interesting guy. He was a big character. And just thought... Um, it gave me a, a, an idea for a topic, which was those kind of music. Not, I'm not talking about musicals, but I'm talking about films that are that's pure subject is music, you know, and things like uh, let me see, uh, Amadeus. Uh, let me see what else is there. There's a few others. I did a list. Uh, the Blues Brothers, you know, those kind of things which have a, a contemporary musical quality. And I just wondered whether uh, any of you guys had had a favourite or perhaps a, a not so favourite, or what was involved, because I'd imagine the the well, let's start with favourites, I guess. Dave Spears. Is that a genre that you uh, find yourself enjoy? I imagine, because when I was a teen, it was things like, you know, Broken Glass, the Hazel uh, O'Connor thing. They were all the rage, weren't they? And Quadrophenia and all that stuff. Yeah, Quadrophenia was good. I saw this Ian Dury movie. Yes. Was it good? I was impressed. I thought the guy who played him was very good. Um, the way it was filmed was good. It was a kind of retrospective telling of the story. Uh, yeah, and it was good because it wasn't, you know, all glossy and he came across as a bit of an arsehole at times. Which, which I think he was. was. Yeah, but he was very talented and uh, quite aggressive and just good guy, actually. From, he's an interesting individual. There was, I found a video on uh, Vimeo, which was them rehearsing, the band rehearsing, playing a couple of songs. And, and uh, so, look, you know, obviously there's a lot gone into, into the, to the band um, being able to play. And they did, they did quite a good job, as far as I could tell, because Norman Watt Roy, wasn't he? He was the bass player. He was, I mean, the bass line on Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick is an awesome bass line. It's worthy of, um, dare I say, you know, Mr. Mr. Edwards. Ah, blimey, yeah. I mean, I was quite a fan. I loved, I loved that album, New Boots and Panties, and that was kind of around when I was a kid. So, yeah, I was interested to see it, and it was impressive. Uh, other favourites of mine? I did like Quadrophenia. Hated Breaking Glass. Did you? I was probably young and impressionable. Um, Story of Anvil, I think, is brilliant. That's a kind of real-world Spinal Tap thing. And there's another one called Heavy Load, which is a, sort of, which is a special needs punk band. Well, that Which sounds is, interesting. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It's really quite touching, actually. A bit like some kind of monster. <laughs> which was which one? That was the Metallica one. Ah, yes, okay, yes, yes. Which is a classic. Yeah. I know, I think, I think Spinal Tap has to be one of the best all-time sort of rock music mo- movies ever, even though it's just, just because of its comedic value and its truisms. It's legendary, isn't it? I mean, and also there's a, there's a hip-hop version, Fear of a Black Hat which I loved and features the classic track um, Booty Juice on Liquid Fudge Records, no less. <laughs> wow. That's, that's getting pretty explicit right there. It's, it's, wow. very, it's brilliant. And the band are called NWH. 
Oh, really? They're, they're from London, it's by a, any chance? Something with hats. <laughs> 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 and it's very, very well done. I mean, it is laugh a second. Uh, there's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That was a cracker. I've got the soundtrack of that. That's absolutely brilliant, actually, I have to say. I think that was a... In fact, that looked like it was a, a close second to Amadeus. Uh, um, Rich, any favourites? Any kind of thoughts on, on the genre itself? Um... I tend to the nonfiction more than the fiction. Okay. I thought though. So in the la- in the realm of fiction, Amadeus was good. I saw part, but you'll you'll. I'm about to divulge something here. I've never seen Spinal Tap all the way through. As <laughs> difficult as that may seem to believe, I've seen many many parts of it in in isolation. But I and I've got the gist sort of of where it's coming from. And yes, it all seemed very funny to me. Um. And I never saw Immortal Beloved all the way through. Uh, but again, it's a subject that interests me, but it seems – I just tend to prefer the nonfiction presentations. and so It's a bit too close to work, perhaps. I don't know what it is. I resist them. It's hard to get me to watch them. I've still not seen the Ray Charles movie because I just don't want to go. I just – I don't know why. It's, it's a thing with me. It, they're, they're hard for me to handle. Like the Who's movie, the Tommy movie was terrible. I saw that years ago. It was horrible. Did that scare, did that scare you? I don't know if that did it. it. I was probably reluctant. I got somebody gave me a ticket to the to a screening of the thing. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, it's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and I don't know why. And I can't say that it, this should be. You know, I'm not saying that's a way to be for anybody else, but it just, it's weird to me. That said, in the nonfiction realm, the best one I've seen in a long time was called Tom Dowd and the Language of Music. And it's about uh, all of these various people he's recorded and produced through the uh, history of his involvement with Atlantic Records and uh, probably somewhat before and after. And uh, the list includes Les Paul, Eric Clapton, John Coltrane, Ray Charles, Otis Redding, Aretha Franklin, Thelonious Monk, you know, Derek and Adonis. It's just uh, Tito Puente. It's just a remarkable listing of people. And uh the movie is fascinating, and yeah. and you get a lot of interviews from some of those people talking about Tom and his involvement in the records and how important he was. And uh, so I tend towards the real biographical rather than the semi-historical Amadeus type treatment. But again, I liked Amadeus, and I thought Tom Hulse did a spectacular job. Yeah, it's far enough away from the current musical history to 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 have no involvement for you. So it's not like a work thing. But it still purports to be on some level biographical, yeah. as did Immortal Beloved, and that's kind of what rubs me the wrong way about them. But, but, uh, but as pieces of fiction, they don't necessarily bother me. Have you ever worked on, um, on anything like that, where you've had to deal with the, kind of the, the audio mix of that stuff? Because I'd imagine, I mean, I don't know, I wonder whether they kind of do it with stems or whether they have discrete track, track counts or how they would do that. So effectively you're working on a, a final mix of the entire multi-track as well as all the spot effects and the dialogue and all that thing. I wonder how that works. Oh, well, I've seen it. I've, I've worked on quite a few movies and uh, I've been around the post-production process and I've been around the production process and I've been invited by directors to attend post-production sessions uh, to, you know, ostensibly lend a hand. Ah, mm. so tell, tell us, do tell. Well, it's changed over the years. In terms of your question regarding stems and things, that's sort of changed over the years. But, but uh, when I started doing it, which was 20-something years ago... Um, well, we, what we did was somewhat revolutionary because Niall uh, and I uh, 
Nile had already begun this, and uh, it was the movie Coming to America and another movie called Earth Girls Are Easy, and he was basically pre-producing these in the Synclav here with synthesizer modules. And in the case of Earth Girls Are Easy, a synthetic score was acceptable, but in the case of Coming to America, uh, the director wanted a real orchestra, the director being John Landis. And uh, so we basically temped out pretty much the entire movie in the Synclavier with uh, with sound modules. And then the orchestra was recorded to those. And what you hear is a combination of synthetic and real orchestra along with all these – there were these remarkable percussion ses- uh, sessions that I could talk about for days but, but uh, because there are these big African dance sequences. And then there was Latin music we had to do. There was all kinds of st- – and there was a couple of pop songs we had to do and uh, – it was very involved. And then, yes, at the end of all of that music creation, there comes a point where you're on the, uh, the mixing stage and you've got like five guys at some immense console and other guys upstairs running machines. And they're synchronizing everything and bringing everything into a singular mix to support the movie. Jesus. Wow. And uh, you will occasionally see pictures of this if you watch like, you know – the special edition DVDs of, say, Star Wars, and they show you some of the post-production sessions, or they'll show you a little bit about Skywalker Ranch, which is another wonderful place that I've been. And, um, but at the end, yes, there is some team of guys who come together, and one guy is the music mixer, and one guy is the dialogue mixer, and one guy is the sound effects mixer, and, one, you know, and all of the elements come together in that room and they they'll cycle a piece of film maybe 15 to 30 seconds long and work on every single elephant uh, ele- elephant <laughs> work on every single element and the reason I said elephant is cuz I'm thinking of one that I watched for coming to America where an elephant would walk through the scene and they got to get the the elephant trumpet the trumpet sound right you know where the elephant goes you know you got to get that right just in the right place you know and uh I remember them like cycling back over this like you know for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, just working on that one thing and getting the, all the sound elements of that little 15-second piece together properly before they moved on. And that's, yeah, there's a stage at the end of making a movie where that is done. Jesus. I've never done that. I mean, I, I've never, I didn't realize it was all done in one big go. I thought that, you know, it was like you had a music submix and a dialogue submix and then, you know, a Foley submix and then that was the bit that was done. But... uh well, back then it was, and that's sort of the old school method, even though they didn't always use some clavier tracks um, they, they, or whatever. But in that case, they were basic, basically using a music mix created for the movie that I believe was two tracks. I don't think they were working from stems. Huh. And then maybe five or six years later, I was back in Hollywood working on some other movies, and uh, stems were starting to come into fashion. Could you give us just this broken out so that we can adjust it there? And that's when I got invited down to uh, Todd A.O. one day by Bill Friedkin to participate in the mixing of this movie Blue Chips that we were working on. Uh And uh, he wanted, you know, they had some wacky stuff. They had the hi-hats in the rear channels. I mean, there there was just wacky. Oh, God, yeah, when you start getting into THX and 5.1 mixes, that must be even worse. And you don't want to distract from the scene. You want it to support the scene. You know, so, and, and having me there was really kind of odd and I think put those guys in a bit of an odd position actually because it's very unusual to have one of the people involved in the music creation on the scoring stage while they're doing this, this movie mix. Right. So anyway, um, stems have become more ubiquitous over the last 15 years, I'd say, uh, to the point where now pretty much people kind of want them. 
And uh, when we did uh, the, the title song, the theme song for the movie Semi-Pro a couple of years ago, I ended up providing uh, stem mixes for them to use in the post stage because sometimes they want versions that don't have certain elements in it. Yeah, yeah. Or they want to break out something and put that in the rear speakers or whatever, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but also because they want to be able to create alternate underscore versions that don't feature the whole song, but maybe some elements of the song, you know, and things like that. It, I mean, it, that, you know, it sort of puts the mix part of just a sort of regular record kind of into, into the shadows a little bit. I don't know, Dave, have you ever intended, attended any of that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah, a couple. I mean, I've, only, I've, I've worked on stems for a couple of movies. Um, weirdly enough, the release forms are pretty stringent, and I'm not... Bearing in mind, I want to continue to work with these people. I'm not sure whether I can talk about it. Because <laughs> oh, <really>? <laughs> generally, they're credited to an individual or a band, and even though they may farm some of that out, I'm not sure how much I can say, really. Okay. Don't want to get you into trouble there. Oh, I don't want to get into trouble no. today. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I would like to say that the worst film I think I've ever seen in this genre is Velvet Goldmine. I don't know. Some people liked it, but I just could not bear it. It was a sort of glam thing, which I was quite excited about at the time, but it was just... It was just no, no good. No so you and McGregor thing. Uh, and McGregor was in it. Yeah. And I can't remember who else was in it. I sort of tried to blank it from my mind because I did pay. We all went. A bunch of mates went together, thinking, "Well, this will be good," and realised <laughs> it wasn't in anything <laughs> approaching good at all. And it was felt like I've been ripped off. <laughs> but you know. Um, so yeah, fun. well, uh, thanks for that, Rich. That's really interesting because I've often wondered. I've never attended that sort of thing, and I wonder kind of what's involved. And I'm, I'm guessing that now, you know, with they probably have separate operators on separate bits of Pro Tools rigs that are all lined up together that, you know, somebody handles the dialogue, somebody handles the the spot, somebody handles this, and then somebody oversees it all. It must be a kind of modular kind of experience, I'd imagine. Right. Well, the people who aren't at the console are monitoring all of the playback media, which can often vary widely from a number of different sources. So At least back then it was. Today, yeah. chances are... Your digital console has is a workstation. <laughs> yeah. You just load all the audio into just it. Just go with a laptop. <clears throat> no, I mean, <laughs> if you've got, what, what, Euphonics or Fairlight, or if you've got yeah, one of these stuff. big, large format boards that typically you'll find in these mixing stages, or even if it's DigiDesign's icon or whatever, typically it's, it's connected integrally to a DAW type of situation where you can have the actual audio encased within that environment you no longer need you've already done all the transferring you no longer need a real-time room full of guys so once again a bunch of people are out of work yeah who run all this stuff for you while the mixers are doing their thing i just picture the you know now the next job is the guy with the little oil can just sort of oiling the spindles of the hard drives that are performing so so massively in my own mind you know <laughs> the spindle oiler uh, unlikely I, just, I, I have a feeling the guy who protects the data is the most important guy in the room yeah quite yeah <laughs> he wears some kind of lead coat yeah right it looks like hazmat <laughs> anyway i think it's time we uh we we say a word about our sponsors we'd just like to say thank you very much to yamaha uk for their continued sponsorship of the show really much appreciate it. uh they want to inform me there's a, a slight change in the way that they're doing things um the the monthly podcast is taking a bit of a break for them so now they just want to point you pretty much squarely at the yamaha download.com which is uh gives you access to the the, the monthly newsletter, uh, the Yamaha Roundup, it lands easily in your inbox covering upcoming tour dates, hints, tips and clinics, that sort of stuff. Um, 
there's a lot of stuff on there, and particularly, and also they want me to tell you a little bit about um, the new CP pianos, because I know we talk about this every week, and the CP1, CP5, and CP50 stage pianos, they've got spectral component modelling. You've got to go into a store and try one out. And they say, you know, all of the, the pretty pictures, the YouTube videos, all of that stuff, it's all well and good. But the thing is about these instruments, and I guess, I guess with a lot of... Um, heavy-duty mechanical instruments, particularly things with think that have got um, graded hammer action and lightweight portable design, that sort of stuff. You've got to kind of get your hands on and feel one. So get into your dealer, your local dealer, wherever you are in the world, and try out one of the CP range. There, there, you, you can go to the, the, flag, the flagship CP1 is the full 88 with uh, a whole bunch of different sounds on it, and uh, it's, a, it's in a beautiful... Uh, a beautiful finish, very classy item, right down to the CP5 and the CP50. So please do check them out, yamaha.co.uk. We, we appreciate their continued sponsorship. What we'll do is uh, we'll point you at sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, and if you go there, there'll be links there to take you out to uh, the various things that I've talked about. And uh, it just means that they can track it a bit more easily and continue to be happy with what we're doing for them, which I believe they are. So uh, thanks very much once again to Yamaha for their continued sponsorship of the show. Um... Let me see what's our next topic. Let me have a look. Um, uh, drum gloves. Yeah, this was kind of interesting. I think we'll probably join two together because I'm not sure whether we'll be able to hear this because it's quite um, quiet and amateur. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I will play that because it just puts it in a bad light. But it was quite an interesting thing. It was basically a pair of gloves <laughs> with sensors on them. And uh, the video doesn't do them any favours at all because nobody seems to be able to play them in time. They should have got you in, Dave. Although there was one guy in the middle of the demo who had tattoos. And I can only assume that he was a drummer. But obviously it needs a little bit of work. <laughs> so uh, this is something called Beat on the Block. It's created by a, a school project um, by Christo de Puta, Arnoud de Besten and Sam Vesters at uh, RTCIS University in Antwerp in Belgium in May 2010. Uh, the 3D model looks great, but uh, the prototype looks like it's got a little bit of um, work to go. Interesting idea, though. I mean, I, I did do a big search on the web, and I couldn't find... I was searching for drumming gloves or drummer gloves, and obviously the only thing I could find were gloves for wearing while drumming, not actually for making drum sounds. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know about you. There's something I don't trust about a drummer or a keyboard player or anybody who plays an instrument wearing gloves at the same time. It just doesn't seem right somehow. <laughs> so 80s, isn't it? They're like, do you have to wear fingerless ones? Fingerless or just, gloves for drummers. Go or on. just ones with the first two fingers. Well, <laughs> one time when we played in a blizzard in Croatia. Oh, that's fair enough. Everybody <laughs> bought, everybody, most of them, I didn't, bought gloves and cut the tips off the fingers. Whoa. So that their hands would be essentially warmed, but they still had contact with either guitars or keyboards. And balaclavas. <laughs> since, you, <laughs> since you asked. But you didn't. Were you wearing balaclavas as well? Yeah. Did you get the, uh, the seamstress to knit um, showbiz-like motifs onto your balaclavas so it didn't look like you were a bunch of terrorists? All right, tell me what a balaclava is. A balaclava is like a ski mask. Oh, I see. <laughs> Rich, you said yes before you knew what it was. That's very brave of you. Well, no, I said I'd seen gloves worn on stage. <laughs> what do you think about drumming gloves, though? Do you think there's a there's a few? I like the idea of it because I mean, finger drumming is quite 
it's something that you know we sort of do it on keyboards and things. It seems like it would be quite a good yeah. idea. Not dramatic, yeah, but for, for maybe not for a show. A sh- well, the right. show. Well, that's side. the point. In, in other words, like if you've ever seen the Flying Karamazov brothers do their juggling thing, they have these pad-based MIDI triggers that they hook up. To, that hang on their shoulders on these harnesses. And as they're juggling, they're smacking out these rhythms with the clubs on these pads. And they play like pieces like this. And uh, you know, that is both dramatic and visually stimulating. If you've ever seen vi- uh, videos of Blue Man Group, it's very visually stimulating to watch them play what's supposed to be flip-flops on PVC pipes. And I'm not sure that's actually what you're hearing. But, but uh, it's really, you know... It's something to see and hear, whereas this, it's fun and it's creative and it's kind of interesting, but somehow I suspect our friend Diego would see it as cheating. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> but but um, and in the history of triggered drums on stage, let's not forget this guy, Future Man, one of the Wooten brothers, who plays with Bela Fleck on what used to be called a syntax and triggers drum samples from the thing and plays them live in real time with his fingers. So the only difference really is there. The triggers are not actually attached to his hands. Oh, actually, if you think, the Zen drum, that's, that's for finger drumming, isn't it? Well, you've got that too, yeah. yeah. There's a history to this. Yeah, but not gloves. Gloves seems, well, it certainly in that example, seems like perhaps not such a great idea. Well, it's cool. I mean, it might be fun for certain people, and it might be a nice, inexpensive product for people who want to play around with drumming with their fingers. I can drum pretty good with my fingers. But I'm a piano player. <laughs> <laughs> the table's not quite a snare drum sometimes, though, yeah. I know what you're saying. I know what so you're if saying. If I had these drums on, I could create some pretty realistic drum rolls and things like that if, the, if it was triggering the right kind of sample set. But, but uh, I just but, don't but, see its entertainment, its larger entertainment. Oh, no, no, I don't think for performance, but certainly maybe, maybe for composition. maybe it's like a toy. As a you know, home entertainment product, like the K-Oscillator kind of stuff and the lower, you know, the... Uh, the micro, the nano. I know some people from Korg listen to this. I, I can just see it. And, and we want to say now, if ever we see the nano glove or whatever it may be, <laughs> I think we want a royalty. Yes. Dave, you're right. a drummer. Come on, spit it out. I'm sure. Have you ever worn gloves to play drums? No, never. And I would punch anyone I saw doing it. Um, <laughs> I was quite intrigued by these from an irritation factor because I was one of those kind of teenage kids who just, you know, play everything on the table until my dad would slap me and tell me to shut up. So, and I thought these were fantastic just purely for irritation factor. In fact, if they're cheap enough, I, I know loads of parents and I'm going to buy them for their kids just to annoy, really. Yeah. But I was trying to work out on a slightly more serious level. I was trying to work out what sounds you would have allocated to which fingers the mapping yeah because actually when you drum when you finger drum yeah you tend to alternate don't you yeah it switches doesn't it we could have some pretty clever patch that just sort of maybe one hand would be one drum another hand would be another drum and i don't know yeah that's a good point actually it got to the point where i was kind of doing it with my foot as well going oh maybe you could switch with a kind of pedal no no this you is could a have a you could have a combination um, gloves and slippers perhaps it's cheating <laughs> <laughs> you're or you're tapped that you're kind of tap dancing and doing it at the same time but that that, be- you actually you raise a very good point and that might be why a lot of the drummers even though they looked like they were possibly drummers in the video because they were trying to they had to play particular voices on particular fingers it was kind of causing them problems and it wasn't fluid because we're all used to, i mean we can all kind of paradiddle and create amazing rolls and stuff with our fingers in roll rolling them and that that actually is a very very valid point it was interesting because the guy who seemed to do the best job was the guy who was doing the soaker beat was he the one at the beginning 
Uh, no, he's kind of halfway through. But I thought, oh, that now doesn't sound kind of so stilted. But it was interesting. Because, yeah, because yeah. you're firing, you're almost, you're creating like a, a, you're playing one finger off another with that beat, aren't you? So it makes more sense. But when you're trying to do a four-four thing, it just doesn't work because you can't, you can't bounce off one finger to another. That's that's yeah. Maybe there's a, a that, that's a particular that's a, there's a sort of design flaw in there, and it's not the fault of the gloves; it's the fault of the fingers. <laughs> if you see what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, the other video that you sent, um, Dave, I'm going to have to play a bit of this because this was awesome. I mean, obviously you're not going to see what's going on in this, but it might remind you of it. Let's play it. This is by three Texas boys done good. Z Z top. A little something feature our own resident shop dress man, Mr. Dustin Gray. How about a hand from the state of West Virginia, Mr. Dustin, the big Peter Gray. Obviously, you can't see what he's doing, but what he is doing <laughs> is pretty amazing. This is uh, Rich K and the All Nighters, um, and he the, the the drummer is called the Mad Drummer in uh, in inverted uh, inversion. What am I talking? Quotation marks. Um, basically, uh, this guy it was Dustin McRae on lead guitar, lead vocals and guitar, Paul Allen on bass. I don't know if that's Microsoft Paul Allen. That would be an interesting one. And uh, <laughs> a guy called um, Steve Moore on the drums. Now he he was like a kind of um, he just had this amazing look. He's like sort of Keith Moon, but more together. I, I, I don't know. How could you describe that, Dave? You, you spotted it. What would you just describe it as? Just immensely funny. <laughs> it's okay. really... Somebody sent it to... Oh, no, in fact, somebody posted it on Facebook, and then I ripped it off and put it on my Facebook. And it would just... I mean... And then I got sent it like about 100 times over the next couple of days. 2.9 million those... hits incredible viral videos i've got this theory in fact howie scar posted on my facebook saying that he obviously hates being in this band and this is the only way he can keep sane which i think he may have a point but i think further to that the chances are that he's only he in the band meeting before the gig they've said just calm down just keep a straight beat and calm down and every time they seem to turn away he then goes mental <laughs> i didn't notice that and it's only the camera can see, maybe. Well, actually, I looked, because I, I did look at a few other ones, and that later in the, uh, the, the, in the same gig, there's another clip from the same gig, and they do uh, Wipeout. And obviously that's a fairly drum-heavy kind of tune. And they do this thing where the singer gets up, I guess it must be Rick Kay himself, or maybe it's Paul Allen. Um, and they do this kind of dual drumming. So the the guy comes up behind him, takes the drumsticks and plays in front of him. And then they do this amazing sort of almost like magic act. You know, it's like a kind of uh, old time uh, musical thing where they swap over drumsticks and one plays one drum, one plays another. And they do this sort of really quite complicated bit of uh, uh, choreography with the drum kit. So I think obviously it's it, it sort of makes the whole thing a little bit more of a feature. Yeah. But he's got an amazing look. He plays stuff like he plays with the bottom and the top of the stick and just does all this amazing arm movement. I'll put the link in the show notes. You've got to see it. It's, it's almost impossible to describe. Um, ever played in a band with somebody like that? Have you ever, have you ever been tempted? Because, uh, um, Dave, you are a drummer. You know, and I, I'm sure once in a while you've thought, I'm going to spin my sticks and then fumbled it and dropped them or something. No. No, you don't do that. No, I was never a kind of show-off drummer. I didn't like those kind of people, really. 
you just just solid in the pocket. And this guy was actually reasonably in the pocket. He wasn't bad, was he? he was going completely berserk. It was just yeah. that bit where he first starts, you just kind of go, what? <laughs> and then it just kind of goes on and goes on and he does more and more and more. And then occasionally he'll kind of settle down. It was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But I mean, how many hits did you say? 2.6 million. <laughs> Lord. I think it originally came from Jerry Marotta. I think he was the guy who originally posted uh, the first link to it, certainly on oh, the Facebook. Really? Yeah. Ah, Rich, you ever played in a band with a drummer like that? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> but have I played with guys? You know, the Flash thing was always weird to me growing up. The, the twirling sticks was always kind of, always seemed like a distraction from something else that was missing, kind of. <laughs> uh, but, but, then, but then I met the drum corps people, starting with my wife, and... It's part and parcel of what they do. It's a technique. Oh, that's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. Marching band. It has to use, yeah. as, by the way, are the wearing of gloves in certain circumstances. But all that aside... Um, <laughs> that's allowed. And both of my sons do it really well. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know what... I imagine. I mean, can you imagine? Because they look like a kind of weddings, bar mitzvahs, and functions kind of band. You know, albeit perhaps up a tier or two from that. How much work oh, are they going to be getting, do you reckon? Or maybe uh, not. <laughs> yeah, we just want the drummer. You're really big on the gold jacket circuit. Aww. Have you ever been in a band where you've had to wear a gold jacket? I always fancied a gold jacket. I don't know why. I think I should wear one while I'm podcasting. <laughs> I, think should, I think you should too. I don't know where I get one from, though. Where do you get a gold lame jacket from? They seem to be very rare. I mean, I've been to a lot of charity shops, okay, and jumble sales and all those things, and I've never seen a gold lame jacket. There must be some kind of one, there's one supplier, and that, that's... Apparently it's in Texas. Is that- <laughs> <laughs> that's like that classic thing with Wakeman, though, wasn't it? He wasn't doing the cape thing until he walked off. I think the compere was wearing a cape. Oh, that's like a great story, gig. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think he just said, you know, how much now? Quick. He paid him 250 bucks in about 1970 for it, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> in fact, that's a great story. I don't know if anybody's been able to see this because a lot of our listeners are outside of the UK, but there's been a series on the BBC, which is uh, I'm in a rock and roll band, and every week they've done a separate thing. So they did lead guitarists, keyboard players, drummers, singers, bass players, you know, all the sort of various... And there was some, there's some brilliant footage on there. And that was one of the stories from uh, Rick Wakeman, who was saying, you know, this is why I got the cape, you know, because they were talking about prog rock and all these other things. And they had some great interviews. That culminated this week, actually, in a sort of rather lame um, sort of reality TV phone-in kind of thing where they had, uh, you know, votes for the best lead singer, the best guitarist, the be- you know, and it was, it basically, it just boiled down to Queen, Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix. They didn't, seem, th- they didn't seem to be, and The Who, that was it. They were the only bands that seemed to be mentioned. I think Dale ended up playing on that. I thought I saw him there. Dale, um, yeah. who was on this podcast um, yeah. uh, last year, I think it was, wasn't it? Late last, uh, last summer. Dale, um, Dale Davis, who also plays with Amy Winehouse. There you go. Who is looking like she's on the mend, from from what I've been seeing. Off the source for a few months. Good for her. Anyway, that was it was great fun. If you get a chance to see it on the iPlayer, or you can get a, a, you know one of those proxies that allows you in without one uh, masks your international identity. Of course, I'm not condoning such behaviour, but one can watch these things if if needs be. It appears he played with Suggs. Suggs did a um, a version of 
I forget now. I mean, that's how that's how sort of uh, how much I retain, how much information I manage to retain when I'm watching TV late on a Saturday night. There's absolutely <laughs> yes. no point in asking me any questions about it. So I'm I'm, I'm feeling rather ashamed. I actually brought it up now because I can't back it up with any hard facts. <laughs> So anyway, um, gloves and uh, crazy drummers. But do check out that video. It's uh, it's again. It's funny, isn't it? Because we've done this before, where we've sort of seen a, a nifty video on drums, like drum solos or whatever, and they, without fail, are in the millions of views. Staggering, isn't it? Mm. Oh, I think, you know what, I think we shouldn't really um, go any further without, we should talk about the reason and record updates. Do you not think that seems like it would be uh, it would be a miss of us? Because there's been some massive updates of reason and record, or at least there will be soon. Uh, they're coming out uh, later in the summer. Let me just play a little bit of a, a, a tune. All I want is purple ribbons and oh in my hair, oh in my hair. New and Record 1.5 is Neptune. Propellerhead Software's all-new pitch adjuster and voice synth. Neptune is three things. A pitch correction tool, a real-time audio transposer, and an amazing voice synthesizer. That was um, one of the videos, and that was for Neptune, which is the sort of real-time vocal processing, it is pro- a vocal synthesizer, uh, a pitch correction, all sorts of things. In fact, I have to say, I thought that demo tune was absolutely kicking. <laughs> really, really nice vibe, actually. But Reason has, uh, they've announced there's, there's a whole bunch of new features, um, and they seem to be common to Reason and Record, which I don't understand. I guess you can join them together. So uh, there's a Dr. Octorex, which means you can run eight Rex uh, loops within a single instance. So if you want to do multiple Rex loops, you don't got to clog up your rack with uh, old Rex players. Uh, blocks that look quite interesting. You see that, Dave? The sort of the idea that you know it's, it's almost like the folders concept in uh, in Logic, where you kind of work on a small section and then you you can copy and paste and, and and edit and kind of build a song from there. And that looked pretty good. And the fact that you can, you know, as a lot of us do, not all of us, but I certainly uh, would work on say maybe an eight bar section until I got some vibe going. And then you can take that and you can copy it throughout an entire arrangement. But then go in and change individual sections so you can arrange the and it's a sort of hybrid pattern mode. That's a that's got to be a welcome uh, inclusion. Uh, live sampling and the Kong drum designer with four analog voices and four acoustic models and pads, etc. I'm not really a Reason user, so it doesn't get me uh, as excited as that. But sometimes it looks like some of these tools are going to be pretty compelling in terms of maybe getting sounds that you can't get anywhere else. Maybe certainly the uh, the Neptune thing looks like it might be quite an interesting addition. Uh, Dave, um, does this does this uh, have any implications to the, your workflow or anything there that you think, oh, yeah, I might uh, might take a look at that? Uh, no, I should. I'm sorry, but I haven't. Uh, I don't really use Reason or Record. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Record before being it's, it's a hard sell to try and change doors, isn't it, at, uh, at any stage of your, you know, your career, really. But uh, I guess that with Rewire and stuff, you could use elements of it. I think Neptune look, does look interesting. I'd like to play with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly the blocks thing. And the physical modelling. I know, Rich, yeah, I know you use Reason, don't you? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I work around people who do and use it religiously and love it, and I've seen it. And I, it's funny because it was just a couple of days ago 
I was waxing eloquent on the subject of how these guys just might be the ones who survive all of this. And uh, we might all be using this stuff. <laughs> I mean, it, certainly if uh, Avid decides that uh, whatever's left of DigiDesign isn't really worth supporting in any significant way, um, I could see myself working in this stuff. I really that's I think interesting. They're very, I think they're very clever fellows, these propeller heads, and I mm -hmm. think their products are magnificent. Bang for the buck. Uh, the way they use CPU resources, the way they lay their products out, the way it all works, all looks like it makes sense to me. I played with some um, record beta, and I thought it was very, very interesting. I don't know how I would do the kinds of editing I do in Pro Tools on it yet, or to what extent I'll be able to. But I think their stuff looks fascinating, and I'm interested in everything they do because, as I said, I could see myself ending up there someday if the circumstances went certain ways. I think the problem I have with the Reason concept is because it's still very pattern-based, and I just don't work that way. It, it's sort of alien to me. Um, well, I started. I mean, I started pattern-based because back then that's all you had, um, and then I got to linear workflow, and now I kind of work pattern-based in a linear sort of way <laughs> because, you know, even in any given linear DAW, I tend to be working on a section at a time. And if I've just finished the verse, chances are it's going to go to the second verse and be modified in some way, but it's going to be based on the same kinds of things. Mm. You know what I mean? So conceptually, I'm still working somewhat pattern based. If I say second verse, not necessarily same as the first, but awfully darn similar, yeah. then I can start with the verse that I've written. The high string and the tambourine, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Not even yeah, yeah. so much arrangement wise as music wise and parts wise. But I, getting back to propeller heads, I just think they're brilliant people uh, with great software that is very affordable and offers incredible tools to people. And uh, I could see myself ending up there if, as I said, if circumstances went the wrong way. Mm, interesting. It's going to be uh, later summer 2010. This is going to be coming out. Um, there's all sorts of, you know, side grades and upgrades and what have you. So uh, you'll have to check the website for the latest deals on that. But it, it, it looks like they put a lot of thought into it. And I don't know. It, I mean, because it, it got a little bit sidelined for a while, didn't it, Reason? Because Live's been making so many inroads, and also because of the way that that works. It's a, it's a different a different paradigm. I know you use that perhaps a bit more, don't you, Rich? So, I mean, it seems like this might be coming a bit closer to the to the marrying of the of the method somehow. Yeah, I'm not sure how it relates to the Live behaviors. I've never done anything like that with the propeller head stuff, but... I'm not sure about – I'm still unsure about using Ableton Live in primarily linear uh, music creation processes. I'm, I'm just not sure about it. In other words, I don't know if I want to record live basics to it. Uh, I see what you mean. Um, but the guys at Ableton say, why not? And I say, well, because I can't select a bunch of discontiguous tracks and route them all to a single bus <laughs> without doing it 15 times. And they're like, oh, okay. But um, I wonder if record is any different because that's supposed to be a lot more of a, a recording environment. So right, that's what I'm thinking. You yeah. see, I think I think these guys, uh, based on my limited time with their beta, I think they got it right. I like the integration. All within just their stuff, you can do a massive amount of stuff. And if their console sounds as good as the, as it looks, because <laughs> they do a really good job with the GUIs, if the console sounds, you know, they claim they emulated SSL for the most part, and uh, I'd be interested to see if they got it. 
Well, I mean, it's interesting. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you've got a recording process and the record part is absolutely brilliant for that, for instance, if it is. I mean, I, I don't know because I haven't really used it. And then you've got the kind of tweaking pattern-based and blocks and all stuff that you do when you start when you integrate it with, with Reason itself, then there could be, yeah, you could be right. There could be onto something that, that kind of makes it an easier buy for people who are maybe migrating from more traditional door layouts. Yeah. And it's and the integration, the one you know, I don't know. They just seem like they're good guys. They're a good company. They do good things with software. They create a lot of opportunities for people. In that well, stuff. Ableton, Ableton also, you know, they're, they're kind yeah, of the, yeah, agreed. They're the two. You know, maybe they're going to emerge the two big ones after you know after all the dust settles on whatever else is going on. Right. Well, Apple probably won't abandon Logic anytime soon, and uh, we'll see what Avid does. And Motu seems to be able to kick stick around somehow for decades upon decades. I guess probably selling hardware. Yeah, well, that's interesting. You say Apple won't be changing anything too. I'm not so sure. You know, with the, uh, we can't avoid the uh, inescapable march of the i operating system, which is now called iOS. Which I think there's people speculating that perhaps you know we're starting to see the last iterations of uh, OS X, and future ones will be iOS, which is going to be a kind of not for people like us, I guess, but still, that, you know, I don't know what they're going to leave for content creators to do, apart from maybe very expensive and specialised operating systems that only work for them. I don't know. That's worrying me slightly. In fact, it's worrying me so much, I was thinking maybe it's time to start getting on eBay and buying up a bunch of uh, Mac Pros before they just don't make anything like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or am I getting a bit paranoid? Hopefully. Dang. Well, some people do dig in on old gear. Yeah. You know, when they see the moment where whatever they're using isn't being supported may not be supported by whatever has just been released in hardware, sometimes people hunker down with their G5 or their G4 or their OS9 or their what they, they just take a stand in the I history know, but of it, technology. It, it sort of makes me feel like I, I don't want to be one of those people, but it, it feels like them. we might be heading to a situation where I, I just don't have any choice. Oh, well, you'll always have a choice. I mean, well, as you long know as there's I mean. a company like Propellerheads. You've got a choice. Yeah, I guess. Or Ableton or whatever. I mean, it's just learning workflows. You know what? They're all, they all do everything we need them to do. It's just a question of learning how when you used to go like that, now you've got to go like this. Mm. It just worries me. I know I've sort of expanded the theory in the past where, where basically mass, com- mass consumption computers will essentially be iPads or you know, netbooks or whatever, and the stuff that we use to create stuff <clears> – <throat> is just going to become very marginalized and incredibly expensive and specialized because there's so few of us who need it. Anyway. It's happening already to some extent. It is. And on that time, and since you've brought it up, I have sitting next to me right now a brand spanking new iPad 64 gig 3G device did you you went oh. for it why did i thought rich you were you i thought for some reason rich you weren't you just weren't gonna you said it's just a big ipod, iPod touch well i know that this is going to generate large amounts of sympathetic whining from the assembled multitudes but this was sort of foisted on me uh-huh i didn't uh in other words it it's uh it's a gift uh, it's yes it was a gift and it involves uh testing things that other people might be developing that I can't really talk about. Okay. So there was a need for me to have one. And? And here it sits. It's uh, gorgeous. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's heavy. Can I say right, off, right up front, this sucker is heavy. 
Yeah, I think the 3G is heavier because it's got more stuff inside it, hasn't it? I don't know if it's heavier than the Wi-Fi one or not. I've not looked at the specs, but um, it is gorgeous. <laughs> I got to tell you, it's a nice experience. The interesting, and when you get a graphic that's actually written for the screen size, it's really nice. When yeah. you're yeah, yeah. when you're magnifying iPod graphics, you start to see you know cragginess around the edges of the graphics and stuff. Not because of this display, but just because you're magnifying something that was intended for a smaller resolution. Um, mm. You know, I got lost in Rebirth for a while last night, and I just pulled down the Korg Electribe thing, and I'll play with that. And, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be nice. You know, I, it's, I don't know. You know what's odd is I had just a week previously dropped my iPod Touch and cracked it. Oh. And went out oh. and spent my hard-earned money on a new one. Oh. So now I have a brand new iPod Touch sitting next to my brand new iPad, which I was given. And uh, I'm thinking, well, why do I need this? I, do I need this? Am I happy with this? Do I prefer the handheld thing? Cause- I have to say, I mean, I took mine away uh, to France cause, partly because I didn't want to take a DVD player and all the associated gubbins. So I spent a few days beforehand just getting movies onto it so that my daughter could watch it on the train and that kind of thing. And uh, I, I loaded a few other programs. There's some really, really good programs. But, you know, the whole kind of is it any good as a netbook kind of thing. I mean, I found, you know, you can use the touch keyboard absolutely fine for emails and typing and all that kind of stuff. And I also downloaded some things for me as a webmaster. You know, I've got things like uh, I've got an FTP program that I can edit the files I load straight up so I can edit code on my server i've got a remote desktop connection so i can log into the office machines and poke around and do stuff i've got vnc i've got you know all of these things these tools are there and they're available and i've ju- literally just finished a review this morning of the line six midi mobilizer which is not designed for the ipad but it does work i mean the app d- is designed for the uh, for the iphone but it doesn't matter it's just basically a great big record button and you can record it's a midi interface in and out and you can record midi phrases on it i actually wheeled out the old jupiter 6 to uh, just to sort of record some midi in and out of it and it'll record midi sysx dumps and all that sort of thing and that's sort of like okay this is going to get interesting. I mean, the, the app application that comes with it, which is called uh, MIDI Memo, is pants and needs you know need some other stuff. But they're opening up the hardware so that other people can develop apps that will use the Line Six Line Six hardware. So you know you'll get things like MIDI through and Tempo and Cycle Record and all that sort of thing. And I'm starting to you know I was thinking maybe maybe not, but now I'm starting to think actually I think this is going to catch the imagination of a lot of people. But there's a hell of a lot of uh, competition out there you know there's there's something like 13 tablet pcs coming out with android on you know there's going to be quite a lot of a lot of stuff that's going to be in the market that's going to take this new touch multi-touch tablet kind of approach and i think you know this again is going to push a lot of the uh, the, the machines that we're used to wor- working with to the sidelines well, we will see. We will see. We will see. Absolutely. I'm interested in that Line 6 thing. I should check it out. It's, it, it works fine. I mean, you know, there was no, the, the only thing that was a problem, and I don't know whether this is actually a hardware or a software thing, is you can't run through it. So if you've got a MIDI keyboard and you plug that into the recorder and then you take the MIDI out and want to plug that into a sound device, it doesn't work. It doesn't do a through. And that's, you know, that seems like, you know, I don't know whether that's because there might be a lag or because um, they just didn't think of it because it's really designed for just backing up patches from, uh, from Line 6 products. 
Uh-huh. So we'll see. You know, I mean, uh, I, I really do hope so because I mean, I recorded a bunch of stuff uh, and it, and it worked. You know, the MIDI worked, and then I dumped a load of. Uh, I managed to. I dug out my old Roland D110 because it's the only thing I got that actually will dump any SysX, and it recorded a bunch of SysX into that. And so you know, I know that works. But you know, you just imagine you're a keyboard tech on the road. You've got an iPod or an iPhone. You plug this thing in the bottom of it, and you've backed up everybody's keyboard patches in your phone. Yeah, nice. Which you could then email somewhere. You know? Well, it's not unlike our sound engineers used to have wrist watches that would take console dumps <laughs> of yeah, yeah, USB ones. Yeah. Still got those, yeah. Pretty. Neat. Although getting in wristwatch nicked from being plugged into a console is much more expensive than just putting a USB dongle in there these days. So I'm guessing it's just done that way. Keyboards I've been programming for lately do use uh, USB memory sticks, which is a hell of a lot better. Then bringing my laptop to the gig with a exactly, <laughs> and that's an, and there we go again. So laptops are going to be cut out eventually. It's all very very interesting. And I've always said about this iPad that I when it is uh, that I would actually go out and buy one when it would replace my laptop rather than replace my iPod. Have you used it for email and stuff? Yeah, just over the last day, I sent a couple of test emails. I've been checking email. It's nice. The the interface is nice. The OS. Things they've done are pretty nice. I think it'll improve um, in terms of like the look of the mail app, for example. Probably, yeah. Safari, but- Safari works well. It's interesting. Asio head in the chat room says, you know, he doesn't like to be pushed into certain technology just because it's, you know, hip and cool when he's got a whole studio right there. And that's a good point. You know, that is a good point. But this is, I think, this is going to be aimed at the masses. You know, what they sold two million. I think they must have sold a million well- in Europe since it launched. I mean, it's just. Crazy right, stuff. but th- and think I, if I think back to the studio I had 15 years ago, yeah, um, today's studio looks a lot different, and there's less stuff in it that does mo- each each thing does more. Mm. You know what I mean? It, uh, some people have held on to their studios from 15 years ago, along with their Studio Vision and OS 9 computers. Yeah. And I've met these people, and and some of them want to pay me to try to make it all work now in some other software or something. Yeah, but but you know, so it's all down to where you find your comfort zone and where you want to stay, and if you want to stay in a place. If you decide- usually, you get a critical mass of features. You go, I really, really want to be able to do that, and then, but to do that, I need to upgrade my OS, upgrade my computer, upgrade. You know, it's like then you got to take the leap. That's how it tends to work with people I've worked with in the past, and then you make that transition, and it's painful and horrible for a while, and then you know they're off again. But there are guys out there with new bus apples running Pro Tools four, you know, quite happily. Yeah, well, if that's you know, if they don't need the, any other stuff, then cool. Yep. Hey, what, what you, um, Dave, you going to get one? Yeah, you have to yeah. really, don't you? Funny enough, we just bought a couple of new laptops, and it was like, oh, should we get an iPad at the same time? And then we thought, no, 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 we will wait, wait until at least the uh, you know the one that Rich has got comes out over here. Oh, have you got um, have you got the iCore i seven i five laptops? Uh, no. Okay. No, we went for the basic one. There was a there was a company doing a pretty slick deal. In fact, the company who took over Computer Warehouse, uh-huh. they were doing like a year's interest-free lease, and then you can buy it for a quid at the end of a year. So we thought, oh, let's do that. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, it was. Hmm, interesting. I'll have to give us this link to that at some point. So anyway, are we going to? Uh, should you think we should f- fade out, or should we? Um, the, the the hit albums topic was quite interesting. I think maybe it's worth touching on that. Do you mind, Rich, or would you rather do the the microphones thing? Doesn't matter to me at all. 
Okay, well, maybe I, we could do the, the microphone thing is fairly analytical and tweaky, and I don't know how what to to really say about it except, hey, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> it was shocking the difference, isn't it? It's bizarre. Well, maybe right. we maybe we'll now do we're that. saying it. Now we're saying we're going to do that. So um, this is I've titled "How Deep Is Your Mic?" and uh, it came via Rich, and it's basically uh, the blog Faber Acoustical, who I think are acoustical an- analysts, and uh, obviously you can get various applications for uh, your iPhone. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's stuff for Android and other mobile devices as well, and uh, for analysing SPL and sound levels and frequency and all that sort of thing. And he uh, basically says before you. Uh, go too crazy on uh, specific apps, check this out. The ben from Faber Acoustical asks, how flat is a frequency response of, say, the iPhone? And he did a, a test, and there was the 3G, the original iPhone, the 3G, and the 3GS. And it was terrifying. The 3G, and the, the original, was something like 500K to 4K. <laughs> it was just, that's it. That's the whole bandwidth. Whereas the 3GS offers uh, a much more fulsome response. But the real winner, this was a real surprise, actually, the mini microphone... Um, for iPod touch, you know, which you can just plug in. It's eleven ninety nine, and that gave you pretty much not far off twenty to twenty. Just Twelve amazing. bucks, which makes you think, why the hell didn't they spend that much on the on the thing in the first place? I mean, the mic itself obviously doesn't cost eleven bucks, twelve bucks. You know, that's the fine. You know, the add on mic price. So you just sort of think, well, why didn't you put that in the first place? Well, the inter- another interesting thing is that one of the best performers was the iPhone headset microphone. If you look oh, at it, yeah, yeah, they yeah. like that quite a bit. They like the thumbtacks microphone pretty well. Uh-huh. And, uh, but then they also kind of mitigate all of that by saying uh, – they talk about the non – it's not really a clinical environment. It's just sort of like a nice room that they did it in. And they say that the, measure, uh, the measurement error on high frequencies is noticeable it's, or what they refer yeah. to as non-negligible. So <laughs> when you get above 10K, who knows, you know, is really what I'm saying in right. this stuff. And maybe even when you get above 5K, who knows. But it looks, you know, some of these things look fairly good. I mean, the iPhone headset looks surprisingly good. Yeah. Well, so check out your I.O. device before you start getting any, any sort of applications that will be uh, – recording audio from an external source definitely i mean it's almost like the it's kind of bizarre that we're having a signal path discussion about a, a mobile phone isn't it it's a kind of strange uh, strange twist that uh, that the journey has led us on but uh, perhaps what before we can um before we we finally finish as john van eaton i hope we can talk about those damn record sale numbers as well yes uh that is another terrifying thing on uh, uh james james lewin uh, wrote a great blog post for us uh, hit albums going extinct uh, from a great article on billboard.com uh fewer hit albums than they used to be apparently only 12 albums released in 2009 sold more than a million units this is down from 35 in 2006 uh, and 22 in 2008. There are a few, only about 2,000 albums, and this is the really scary one, out of something like 100,000 released, sold more than 5,000 units in 2009. Now that is terrifying. When you consider, you know, when you go, hey, yeah, do it yourself. You only need to sell 10,000 records to make a living, and it looks like the chances are of actually selling more than 10,000 are also dwindling. It's just amazing. It's, well, the whole album culture has sort of disappeared and it's sort of returned to a pre-album state where buying a record album was essentially buying a book full of large acetate single records. 
yeah. which is what albums were back in the early Victrola day. You know, like that's and my and I've got some of these here. Um, so it, it, we live in a in a single song market now. There's nothing to support the notion that people need to buy albums. Hmm. I'm going to bring that up next time I'm in the studio where the young band are arguing about which songs should come where on the album. Or what snare sound to use. <laughs> hey, sure, well, you that, can that, still uh, hope that there's a dozen of them who will download the whole damn album, but it's it's clear that the marketing paradigm over the last 10 years has been based around individual song sales. There's nothing to support buying the – I mean, they do. They'll, sometimes they'll give you an extra song that's only available with the album download. But if you only like one or two of the songs from the, from the thing that you've heard, you're probably just going to download those. Well, exactly, which is kind of always was the disappointment with albums because, you know, you'd hear the single, oh, I'll buy the album, and you go, oh. That's a bit disappointing. The rest of it's not quite so good. So the, the other thing that's quite terrifying about these stats, uh, the median second week fade uh, was 62% in 2008. And that means basically the album is released and you get sales, big sales in the first week and then the second week you know, it fades to a, a more re- realistic level. And it's dropped each year. Basically, for, it was started at, at thirty, about thirty percent. The second week fade was only thirty percent, and now it's sixty-two percent. Um, the explanations: apparently, marketing bu- budgets are more limited, pre-sales are more common, core fans are more aware of new releases, and piracy may be eroding sales, sales of casual fans. But it's—I mean—all these numbers kind of make you think, "Oh my God!" You know, the notion that an independent artist can do it on their own. I mean, I suppose you've got as good a chance as any, and you're not going to spend as much money on marketing as perhaps a label will, but it does rather make you feel a little bit glum about uh, the whole world of music making and the music business, does it, Dave? Yeah, and it's kind of sad as well in that, you know, sometimes, like you were saying with albums, you, you could buy an album and there'd be a load of fillers and stuff, but there were a lot of albums that I bought where actually certain tracks, in, you know, on the initial play, you'd kind of think, well, yeah, so-so, but then they grew on you. And I kind of miss that to a degree if this is the way it's going. But it, I think Rich is right in that it certainly seems to be a kind of singles paradigm. And he was saying something fairly recently um, in that if uh, once a signed artist, that if the first single doesn't do well or as well as the record company expect, then they're pretty much dropped straight away. So Didn't that, that, did that used to be the case as well. I mean, that's when, you because know, you, get, you get one or two or three single deals and then you might get an album deal if you proved you could, you could sustain it. I mean, that yeah, was, I I mean, that was I happening in the 90s, the 80s. Yeah, but I don't even think we're up to three singles now. I think we're up to one. <laughs> it's like, once you get past the intro, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen artists dropped before the record was released. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that happens. I mean, it's cheaper, After I guess. they spent a fortune mm. developing whatever recording it was, you know, some stupid fortune, I might add. Um, I've seen artists drop before release. But we also ta- this also takes place in a music business where – Previously, we, we toured to support record sales. Now we all agree there fundam- basically are no record sales. So the tour, you, you sell records to support the tour. Yep. Or, yeah. you, or you give away records or whatever you do, you record to support the touring because the touring is where all the money is. Yeah, merchandising. Yep. Whereas that's, previously, that wasn't where the money was. That's kind of interesting because that's going to stop you know, us studio tweakers from doing our thing because, I mean, we don't tour. We don't play gigs we don't do that sort of stuff what are we going to do 
Well, Pretty actually, poor. some of us do tour. Well, yeah, you do, but I don't. <laughs> but, but no, I understand. Well, you could. But, but uh, no, those people will still need to record things to support their tours mm. to some extent. Okay. To some extent. But no, I mean, it, it, we, I've been saying for years, music is becoming fundamentally a valueless commodity. Uh, people get it with everything they buy. Mm. And, it, and they've got 100 channels of it on their TV. And they've probably got a satellite radio subscription. And if they don't, they listen into analog radio or whatever. But but it's just uh, there's not there's I, I everything around me tells me that it's there's not a lot for sale that people are buying. Mm. Well, uh, on that rather depressing note, uh, <laughs> yeah, we of course we of course welcome any new sponsors to the show. Perhaps I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be, your, I'll but, be your best friend. But no, we do we do appreciate our existing sponsors, Yamaha UK. Uh, obviously, um, uh, they've been with us for a little while, and uh, we do appreciate their continued support. You can check out what they're up to and what I was talking about earlier in the show uh, at sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. But um, I think that's probably a good time to stop, uh, even though it is on a slightly down note. I mean, obviously, the challenge is for us to uh, come up with alternatives and figure out other ways of doing things, you know. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to be vigilant and, uh, and careful and cautious and inventive and creative and all those things, which is kind of what we want to be anyway. It's just that perhaps we have to be creative in slightly different ways. It's not just about whether you can play the drums or a keyboard. You just need some other skills, too. Maybe you need to drum like that guy out of Rick K and the All Nighters. See what that did for him. 2.5 million. (laughs) Anyway, folks, uh, it's been great fun. Um, Thank you very much for everybody for joining us, Uh, um, especially those in the chat room. I know there were some issues with the IRC server. I think we're going to have to try and maybe hook up our own one because this is plainly flaky. So everywhere chat, uh, maybe we'll have to figure out a way of doing our own. But thank you, everybody in the chat room for joining us. Uh, Very much appreciated. Thank you also to my local guests. Uh, Rich Hilton from Connecticut, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonus. Thanks for joining us, Rich. Thank you, guys. I had fun. Great to be back and uh, really enjoyed our chat. I missed it. haven't had a chance yeah. to talk geek for over two weeks. Yeah. And um, Dave Spears, g4software.com, thank you very much as well. Uh, I know you've probably got a lot of work to get back to. Um, um, when's your um, Imposca 2 controller actually arriving? Uh, I don't know is the honest answer. I've been kept in the dark on this one. Ah, you've got <laughs> other things to deal with. Get on with your work. As, as I was on the other one, actually. I was only told the day before it was arriving, because Chris couldn't keep a secret any longer. Oh, wow. That's quite a nice sort of secret. I'd like Andy to do something like that for me. <laughs> um, unlikely, though. He's on holiday. Maybe he's going to come back with some lovely um, lovely goods. But, of course, um, next week, the World Cup starts. So there might be a... Well, I'll see if I can think of any football-related themes for uh, Sonic Talk number 178. But once again, thank you very much to everybody. Uh, thanks again to um, Dave West for dropping down this mic. I, I, I'm, I'm starting to enjoy it a lot, actually. I think uh, hopefully we're going to get a talk with Brian Loudenslager, who is a mic specialist, and uh, maybe insert that into next week's show so you can tell us a bit about his thinking about his new range of microphones. Anyway, that was Sonic Talk number 177. Thanks very much. All I want is purple ribbons and Oh, in my hair, oh, in my hair. Purple ribbons and oh, in my hair.